Hi, how's everybody doing? It's good to see you. Great to see you. By the way, this band, are they, these guys not incredible? Every week, every week, every week, they're just, they're amazing. Well, it was about uh, seven, eight years ago now, seven years ago, that I was in Southern California. My wife and I were on vacation. We're in Southern California. I'm driving down the 405 freeway, and uh, all of a sudden, I felt the car start to slow down. And so I floored it. Nothing happened. And that's when I had what some people refer to as a moment of clarity. That moment where I realized I had been in Southern California for almost a week and had not visited a gas station once. And so it was the car that they gave us was this, uh, it was a Dodge Charger. And so if you've ever been in the car, it's kind of like the, uh, the dashboard kind of comes out a bit. So you got to kind of like look down and over to see the gauges. So I looked down and you know, how there's, there's like, there's full halfway, then there's E and then I was like maybe an inch below E. Like it was like, you've been running on grace for like 50 miles, you know? And, uh, so I realized I'm, I'm out of gas. That's why the car is slowing down. And I see there's an exit coming up. So I'm all the way in the left lane. I cut across six lanes of traffic, being the excellent driver that I am. Uh, my wife is asleep, by the way, and during this whole thing, is that Carrie is totally knocked out next to me. And so I get over, and I practically have to turn the car sideways, but I get out off of the exit. And being in Southern California, thankfully, uh, which is built on all these hills, so what happens is I get off of the exit, and then, so now the car is in neutral. I mean, I've got no, uh, there's, 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 it's, it's, it's done. There's no gas. So I put the car in neutral, and then uh, as I'm getting off, I realize that I'm, I'm on a hill, and so I'm going down the hill to get off the exit. I'm like, yeah, I'm building up some speed. So I'm getting to the bottom of the hill, and the light's red, but it turns green. So as it's turning green, and then in the distance, I see a gas station. I'm like, hey, if I can make this turn and make another turn, I'll be right there. So I get down to the bottom. I'm building up speed. I make the left, kind of go under the freeway, and I'm like, all right, I'm building up speed. This is going to work out. This is going to be great. So I get to the bottom, and then as I'm going to make the other turn, I realize that that gas station, the reason I saw it so well is because it's at the top of a hill. And I'm like, okay. So that, I'm, I'm realizing that as I'm making the turn up this hill. Uh, by the way, my wife's still asleep in all this. So I'm getting to the top of the hill. And then, you ever been out of gas in a hill? Not in Florida, because the only hill is the dump. Uh, but you're getting, to the, you're getting to a hill, and it's kind of like the car stops, because that's it. That's all the juice you got. So you're, you're stuck. So anyway... So what I had to do as I'm there is I have to wake Carrie up and I say, hey, uh, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm tired. Hey, um, listen, uh, no reason to be worried. But uh, number one, we're out of gas. Number two, I need you to drive. Number three, I got to get out and push. She's like, okay. So she gets out and then uh, she, or I get out and then, uh, and then she gets in the driver's seat. And uh, she's steering, and then I get out and start pushing. Now, you and I both know that pushing a car is probably the most humiliating experience in one's life. Because every person that sees you has to slow down. Because apparently they've never seen a person uh, push a car before. So you're like this, you know, uh, you know and you're, you're pushing the car, and then everyone slows down, and they, they roll down their windows, and little kids are like, Mommy, why is the man outside of his car? Why is his face all red? He looks like he's going to explode. You know, that kind of encouragement. And, um, well, anyway, so I'm, I'm pushing, and I just can't. I get to the point where I can't push any longer. I, I get, I don't know, maybe like 
10 feet, um, up the hill. And, uh, and I'm, I'm coming right up on the corner there is this, uh, there's this Honda dealership. To this day, I don't drive a Honda anymore. I have owned several Hondas. But uh, I, Honda has always had an affinity in my heart because of what happened this day. And uh, so I'm pushing. And out of, and I, you know, you get to the point where you just, I just can't push anymore. And so out of nowhere, these two guys just, because there's these hedges, they jump over the hedges. I mean, it was like a 70s cop show. You know, these guys, are, we heard you needed help. And uh, I'm like, well, yes, sir. And anyway, so, uh, so, so these two guys, they start pushing and they push me and they're wearing the gear. So these guys are, um, they're, they're car salesmen for Honda. They push me all the way up to the top of the hill till I get to the gas station and fill up to this day. I still believe that these men were angels just disguised as car salesmen which is the perfect disguise because you would never expect anyone associated with God to be working at a car dealership. And uh, so, which by the way, uh, I, every time I, I've shared this story in the past and people, uh, guys that work for cars, Hey, that's not nice. You know, that's not, and I know I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I know there are car salesmen who love God. We even have lawyers in this church. So it just shows, listen, there is a God and he loves everyone. Really, that's what it proves to us. <laughs> but now, here's, here's the point. The moral of the story is, is that, listen, coasting will only get you so far. At some point, it's going to take fuel. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some energy to get from where you are to where God ultimately wants you to be. I mean, think about it. Is there anywhere in life where coasting is the preferred method? You know, you go in to see your boss tomorrow at work, and he's like, hey, I want to do this review, and... Uh, you know, I'm not really sure how I feel about your, how, you know, how the work you're doing. And you say, listen, sir, I can attribute everything in my performance to my commitment to coasting every day when I come to work. Okay, thanks. Goodbye. You know, I mean, that's pretty much going to be the end of it. Uh, if you say, well, I'm in school, but I'm just going to, I just coast. There's a, there's, a, a, there's a group for people who coast in school. It's called summer school. That's, what, that's the group for people who like to coast in school. There's also, uh, if you're like, oh, I just coast in my relationships. Well, that's probably, then they're, they're not going anywhere. And the same thing is true in your relationship with God. You don't really get, you don't have a faith that's alive and active through coasting. You see, faith is something that needs to grow in our lives or it begins to wither. There's this moment in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, where uh, the disciples asked Jesus uh, this, this question, and here's what they said. I put it in your notes. It says, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, that's a pretty amazing statement that Jesus makes to his disciples. And the question becomes then, if that's the deal, how does faith grow? If faith of a mustard seed is all that it takes, I mean, how does faith grow? And that's what I want to spend our time talking about today. Is we've, uh, this is the fourth uh, message in a series that we started that's called Songs of the Kingdom as we're working our way through different psalms uh, in the Bible. And the question we've been asking each and every week is, what do you want the song of your life to be? Because every person's life is a song. Every person's life has... You know, a verse, a chorus, a melody. So the question is not, do I have a song? It's, is it a good song or a bad song? 
And so, and my prayer, and the thing we've been saying is, is that what we want is for people who come into contact with us to say that, to experience the song that God is writing in our lives and say, hey, that's the kind of life that I want to live. That's the kind of, that's what I want my song to sound like. And so today we're going to look at a psalm that's one of my favorites. It's Psalm 27. And in fact, if you have your Bible, I'd invite you to open there or some kind of electronic device, open your Bible app. And we're going to look today at this psalm. And I believe it's such an important one because... The psalm touches on this idea of how to grow in your faith, but not just in general, how to grow in your faith even in the midst of difficult times. Because God uses difficult times, and God doesn't actually bring things into our lives arbitrarily. But instead, God brings different things into our lives, and sometimes even difficult seasons come into our lives. But it's for the purpose of building up our faith, strengthening our spiritual muscles. And David, who is the writer of this psalm, is going through a really difficult time. And as he's going through a difficult time, he's going to show us how to continue growing in faith, continue to see God do great things in our lives, even in the midst of a difficult season, as God moves us from where we are to where he ultimately wants us to be. So we're going to start in Psalm 27 in verse 1. Here's what we read. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against me, To eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may arise against me, in this I will be confident. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things that I want to share with you today about building your faith. And here's the first one. If you want to have a faith that continues to grow and develop and mature, here's what you've got to do. Number one is keep taking ventures of faith. You've got to keep taking ventures of faith. The faith is not something that's static. It's something that's dynamic. You see, as we get started in this psalm, let me, if I can, just take a a minute or two and give you the background behind the psalm. Because sometimes for us to really understand the the meaning of the words, we've got to know the story behind the song. And so as... uh, What's happening in David's life and what gives him this cause to write this song is that, uh, and you'll find it, you can jot it down, it's in 2 Samuel 21. In 2 Samuel 21, David is the king. He's an older man. He's been king for a long time. But he's still every year going out to war when there's battle, and he's going with his, with his younger guys. But there's this part in the story when he's battling against the Philistines, kind of his, the, the arch nemesis of, of Israel, He's fighting against them, and we're told that as he's fighting against them, that David grows weary in the battle. He grows weary, he gets tired, and they're at war with the Philistines, and there's this giant by the name of um, Ibshi Banab. Those of you thinking about having kids, you may want to go that direction. We were going to go with David, but now that you said Ibshi Banab. Uh, so, anyway, so there's this giant named Ibshi Banab. And he comes with a new sword, the Bible says, for the sole purpose of killing David. And David, he sees that David has grown weary. He sees that David is tired. And now he says, I'm going to take out this new sword and I'm going to kill the king. Well, he's on his way to kill David. And before he could make that happen, there's this faithful man on David's team that his name is Abishai. And Abishai comes to David's aid in his moment of weariness and actually fights off and kills this giant, Abshibanab. And then these guys, these young guys, turn to David and tell him that he can't go to war anymore. Because they don't want, and this is what they say, they don't want the light of Israel, him, to be extinguished. 
that David was that light that guided Israel and directed Israel. And so David then afterwards goes home and he pens this psalm. And he starts with, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? It's amazing what happens when you understand the story behind the psalm because then there's so much more color that you understand uh, why the words are written the way that they're written. You see, David understands something intuitively that's important for us to know as well. And that is that for us to keep growing in faith, for our faith to continue to grow and develop and mature, we've got to keep stepping out in faith. That's why David, even though he's older, even though maybe he's lost a step or two, even though he's not the young kid that once defeated a giant himself, he knows that he can't, doesn't want to be home. He still wants to be in the battle. And too often times, what we think is, is that if we just start coasting, that our faith will grow. That's not the way that it works. Because there's something that happens in our lives, these two things that kind of war against each other, and that is faith and fear, trust and worry. And when whichever one is strengthened is the one that, that, will, that will grow. You see, if you, I don't know if you know this, but there, you know, the, the word worry in, in English is a Germanic term. It, it's a, it's a, it comes from the German word, which means to strangle. So when someone is worried, it has that kind of feeling. And I don't know if you've ever been really worried about something. And you know this, and you, kinda, you know this from experience, that uh, something has happened in life and, and you're worried about it. And listen, you can't sleep because you're worried about it. You can't eat because you're worried about it. Every conversation eventually leads to this thing. And you feel like this thing that you're worried about has actually a chokehold or a stranglehold on you. Now, understand this, that advertisers, politicians, the media, everybody knows that. That worry can, can do that. So they kind of prey on that. And, and that they kind of prey on, on our fears. Now, if I can ask this question, um, how many of you actually have an alarm in your home? Can I ask that? Um, I'm realizing that probably wasn't a great question if there are criminals here. They're taking note of people that didn't raise their hand. Uh, But if you are a criminal, we're believing better things for you. Um, But anyway, so now I have have, uh, an alarm for my home as well. Most of you do too. Now think about why you have an alarm for your home. It's because you don't trust your neighbors. Now you're saying it's for other people, but you've seen your neighbors. They seem nice enough, but are you really positive? No, but you're looking on and you're like, you know what? That $50 bicycle is going to be mine no matter what. And I'll pay 50 bucks a month so my $50 bicycle can still be mine. And, and you know, we, we'll, we'll do that. And listen, it's a lack of trust that creates worry. But think about this. They don't say, I mean, because think about it. This is a weird thing, but you know that someday everybody's going to die and then somebody else is going to get all of our stuff. And then the people that get of our stuff are going to throw out most of it. It's a horrible thought. I think about all of my books Like, I have spent years of my life reading, and someone is going to get all of my books and be like, who needs books anymore? Who's this dinosaur that's still buying books, you know? And they're going to throw the books out, and somewhere I will be weeping. And so so think about it. So we get all this stuff, right, because we're trying to protect all of our stuff. But that's not what they sell. What do they sell? Do you want peace of mind? Well, as a matter of fact, I do. Well, let us put in this system that if someone opens the door, it will make a really loud noise. And there's some that say very strong words. We know who you are. Get out. This isn't your house. You ever see those? Those are the new ones. But think about it. It's like, I don't know how that deters anyone. They still got a few minutes before the cops show up. It's like, woo, woo, woo. Oh, no, not a loud noise. 
what will I do? It's like, you know what I mean? So it's like, you're, like criminals are like one set of earplugs away from having at it. You know what I mean? In your house. So anyway. So, but it's like this thing of worry that causes us to now say, well, man, you know, I want peace of mind. So then I'll, I'll buy it. Right? Advertisers know this. Think about this. Bubble gum. Who would have to market bubble gum? What a delightful invention it is. You want to talk about people that should have statues? The guy who invented bubble gum should have a statue in Washington. Anyway, instead we get people that made vaccines or something. I don't know. So, but, but think about this. But what do they do? So, like, you're, you know, the, you ever see the commercials for bubble gum? Where you go to talk to someone like, like you know, some, some pretty girl, some guy wants to do, ah, hi. And she's like, do you ever want to know the touch of a woman? Yes. Then buy our gum. Take it all. You know, I want the gum. You know what I mean? It's that, it's that whole thing, right? Uh, then there, there's the one, like deodorant. You see deodorant commercials? What's up with that? Right? I mean, you know, it's like, the, 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 here's the, the commercial. Someone's in a club. And then they're, they're, they're getting in close, right? He sees her. She sees him. They get close. And then he's like, and then, and then he thinks that in the back of their mind, do you smell good? Are you sure? Oh, I'm not sure. Put the hands down. Am I sure? Do I know that my antiperspirant is working? Does it have that extra thing that probably comes in all deodorants, but they highlight that one ingredient? You know, I think, oh, I don't know. And it's like, so you got to be sure. Because if you're dancing, you want to raise the roof once in a while. So you got, you got, if you're going to raise the roof, you got to be sure, right? And, and it's like, and the thing is this. Right. So what happens is, is that there's this whole idea of fear and worry. And you know what happens is that faith begins to diminish. And so that's the thing that fear and worry do is that they choke out faith. And I I had these two friends in high school that they did. We all um, it's not that they they were we were all part of one circle of friends, but they went through this whole season for about two years. They didn't like each other. And so no matter where you were. When one of them showed up, the other left. And it's like you could be hanging out at somebody's house, having a good time, and then one of my friends would walk in, and the other guy, the other guy was already there. Okay, time for me to go. And he would just get up and leave. And, and, and like, they just, the two of them could not coexist together because they didn't like each other. Faith and fear, trust and worry are exactly the same. When one walks in, the other walks out. And that's why David wants to keep taking ventures of faith, wants to keep trusting God, because he has learned that where faith isn't growing, fear probably is growing. You see, faith and fear have the same thing in common. Faith and fear both ask us to believe in something that hasn't appeared yet. That's why fear is simply faith in the negative, believing that the worst possible thing is going to happen. There's a study that was done several years ago by the University of Cincinnati and uh, this is so funny, but it, it's so true. Here's what they discovered in this, this uh, study on worry that they did. 40% of what most people worry about never happens. That's the first 40% never happens. The other 30% that people worry about is stuff that's already happened, but you can't change. It's like you get into a car accident. You know, you ding up your car and you're like, you're so worried about the car accident. The car accident already happened. Everybody already knows you're a bad driver. It's like, just move on with your life, you know? And so, but then um, 22% of our worries, according to this study, regard problems that are beyond our control. So there's stuff that we have no control over. Maybe we're not even involved. You know, like we got a friend and they're going to make a bad decision. I'm so worried about what they're going to do. 
Well, have you told them? Well, I don't want to get involved. So why are you worried about it? Because I don't want them to make a bad choice. So you're losing sleep. You got all kinds of problems in your life because somebody else is going to make a decision, but you don't want to talk to them about it. Well, you know, I don't want to meddle. You're already meddling in your own messed up self because you're worrying about something that you you don't have any control over. So then you take all that together, and here's what they discovered. 8% of what we worry about is actually worth worrying about. So the chances of you, when, if you're worried about something, you've got better than a 90% chance that is nothing. So you're better off not worrying about it because if you're wrong, then, um, you know, whatever. You miss a couple every once in a while, but you know, it's, it's just the, you know, it's the, the way it works. So listen to what the Bible says in, 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 in Deuteronomy 31. He says this, this is the remedy. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, it's like my lawn. Let me tell you about the lawn at my house. The lawn at my house is a sight to behold. It's thick. It's lush. My wife says that I'm projecting my lack of hair onto my lawn. And I told her that's not true, even though a piece of sod does look exactly like a toupee. But I think that's just coincidence. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, you know, this is one of the ways you know that you're, you're getting a little older is because when, my, when it rains, my kids are like, ah, oh, it rained. We wanted to go outside. We wanted to go in the pool. We wanted to go hang out. We wanted to play baseball. And I, it, when, I, when I see it rain, and I'm like, yes, my lawn really needs this. That's one of the ways that you know that it's, it's changed. Now, then you get to another stage in life, and you're like, man, my knees hurt. Oh, it's probably going to rain. And uh, so that, that's like another stage. That's another stage. I haven't gotten there yet. But, um, but so the whole thing that, that, that happens is, is that now here's the weird part. The weird part is that my, my, when it rains, man, my, my, my lawn loves it. It causes it to grow. I mean, seriously, when you walk on my lawn, it's like you're walking on a cloud. It's like every blade has a spring in its step. I mean, seriously, everyone walks like this on my lawn. Oh, you know, I could dunk. I'm just, I'm bouncing. It's so good, right? And so what happens is, but here's the thing that's interesting. That same rain, if I don't take care of it, weed and feed it, cut it, you know, really like work on it. That same rain that builds the grass is the same thing that will, that the weeds can now become and overtake it. Isn't that interesting? And see, the same thing is true when it comes to faith and when it comes to fear. If I'm not engaged in my walk with God, if I'm not stepping out in faith, fear will begin to dominate. So how do you keep believing? Listen, you've got to remind yourself that God is with you. That's what David does. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom will I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom will I be afraid? He just keeps telling himself over and over. God is with me. The Bible says in Isaiah 41, I put it in your notes. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. How do you keep believing? You get into God's word. You put God's word in your heart. You put God's word in your mind. The Bible says in Romans 10, it says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's the power of the word of God. You see how God has been faithful to all these people over the course of time. And you know what happens? It fills your life with faith, seeing that God could do the seemingly impossible in your life as well. Because we may not realize this, but this is important for you to know. That you and I have everything we need to do God's will. We have everything we need to do God's will. The only question is, will we do it? Will we step out in faith and trust God 
You know, a lot of us, let me just tell you, if, if we can just speak frankly for a moment. Um, a lot of us, we're praying for our situation to change. But listen, sometimes just praying for our situation to change doesn't make it change. You've got to pray for the situation to change and then actually step out in faith for actually believing the stuff that we're praying about and watch God work in our lives. Sometimes we're praying for things to get better and they don't get better. And it's not because God isn't good. It's not because God doesn't love us. It's not because God doesn't want to bless us. It's because we're praying, but we're not actually believing. It's praying and saying, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go where you tell me to go. Because at some point, we've got to step out, trust God, and continue to take ventures of faith. Look at what he says in verse 4 as we continue. I love this verse. I love verse 4. He says this. He says, one thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. Yes, I will sing. I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, I will seek. Do not turn your face away from me. Do not uh, turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing I want to tell you about building your faith. Here's the second thing. Make seeking God a priority. Make seeking God a priority. Make seeking God passionately a, pr- a priority that we're, 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 in, we're serious. We're willing to do anything to seek God. My daughter came into my office at home the other day and she told, she was a bit frustrated. She's holding the remote control to the TV. And I asked her what's wrong. She's like, the TV doesn't work. So I said, okay. So I grabbed the remote, go into our family room and I'm starting changing channels. And I'm like, Mia, it looks like it's working just fine. And she's like, well, the thing is, is that I, I want to watch this show, but it's not on demand. And I'm like, well, then we had an opportunity for a life lesson. Not everything in life is on demand. By the way, I think on demand really messes up parenting. You know, I'd like a grilled cheese. Is it done? It's like, dude, I haven't even gotten up yet. You know, I mean, but it was on. I've made the demand. Now, why isn't it on my plate? And so anyway, so, so I had this conversation, like not everything is on demand. And then, uh, well, then check the DVR. Well, not everything's DVR either. So and then I had to explain to her, I said, Mia, let me explain to you what TV was like when I was six. We had that conversation. And uh, like when I was six, uh, and this, of course, uh, you know, I'm 23 now. And so this was a few years ago. I, I really don't know why that was so funny. Um, no, I'm actually, I'm actually turning 40 in two months. And okay, whoa, whoa. There's no one who clapped that was actually 40. It's all like, yeah, that sounds good. You're near death. All right. You know, um, so relax. I appreciate it, but we'll clap for you when you turn 40. I'm holding on to my youth for dear life. Um, so anyway, so when I was six, we, uh, we did, you know, we didn't have remote controls. We had a TV that was like the size of a small barge and the screen was about four inches. And we had that, you got up and you went, 
And that's how you change the channel. And by the way, even though there's like 60 dials, only four channels, one of them was PBS. And you know, after Sesame Street and Electric Company, it was all weird stuff after that, you know. And so, and then, you know, because this was obviously cable didn't even exist. So there was no remote controls. There was no cable. So you know what you had to do? You had to rock the bunny ears. So you had to get the bunny ears, and then it had like these little connectors. You had to connect them to the back of your TV. So apparently, you know, you got to take it, unscrew it, and then you got to turn it into a carpenter to now start, okay, now screw it in, and then now put that little thing in there, because that makes a little metal connection. Or maybe you grew up on the other side of the tracks like me. See, we didn't have our own bunny ears. You know, we had, we had a metal wire hanger and tin foil. That's what we did. And that's how we kind of, that's, that was our version of fiber optics, was aluminum optics, okay? And then, now when you really wanted to get reception, you found the youngest person in your family and you told them, okay, now just put your hand on the TV, move over, put your arm out. Okay, now stay right there. The Dukes of Hazard is going to be over in like 25 minutes. Just a good old boy, you know. Don't move. You're messing it up. And so, and so anyway, like I had this little TV. Uh, we, we lived on the third story. Um, we lived on the, on the third story of this apartment. Uh, it, was a th- it was like uh, this building was three apartments, one, uh, three stories, one on top of the other. And um, so my parents, my mom, my stepdad, for whatever reason, they didn't want to spoil me. Okay. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So they didn't let me have my own TV because my, my, my mom and my stepdad, they had, a, uh, they had a color television in their living room, I mean, which seriously was just enormous. It was like half of it was like one of those speakers right there. I mean, but, you know, it was like a very, really small screen. So anyway, um, so then they had this black and white TV that was, you know, like this big. You know, the screen was like, you know, the size of your watch. Um, and so, but I, and I, it, it was black and white. But they wouldn't let me put it in my room because they're like, oh, well, we don't want to spoil you. So we'll put it out because and, and there was a, uh, um, this little kind of uh, patio kind of area that they had, uh, that the owner had put um, like plywood up. So I mean, it was like burning hot in the summer, freezing in the winter. So like, oh, put the TV here for him. Like, hey, okay. You know, if you don't like kids, don't have them. Um, so, so anyway, so I would go out there and then now it's this little black and white TV, but I couldn't get greedy. Because if the TV got too hot, the picture would go away. I can't even tell you in my life how many Red Sox games I listened to on television. Because I would watch it just a couple of innings. And then, because what, what would happen is, is that, I mean, I get, it would be intense. You know, I'm mean, watching, oh man, what's going to happen? And then it would go, boo! And then, like, you would see the, the screen, it would start to go down. I'm like, no! I went too far! And it would just kind of go down. I remember you'd see like the, the you'd see like a little guy throwing a ball like that big. I'm like, no. And then it would just be gone until you turn off the TV and then the TV got cold. And then you kind of, you know, open because that's how you turn on a TV. You went like that. And then you turn the knob and then you went like that to close it and you know, brrr, to change the channel. You know, it was uh, anyway. But like, think about this. You would never do that to watch TV today. So I'm like, oh, man, you want to watch TV at our house? Come on over. Yeah. Hey, listen, you mind standing up to turn it on? What's wrong with you? Do you remember? Oh, man, I don't believe in remotes. Hey, can you just put your arm on the, on the TV? So it's like, okay, but we're not doing that. 
right? Because there was a time where you'd go to extremes. I remember in high school, uh, th- there's all this stuff that we'd go to extremes for then that we'd never do now. I remember when I was in high school, I, I actually, there, one of my friends, uh, you know, and I use the term lightly, uh, they actually posted a picture of all of us uh, when this happens, about 14 or 15 of us, and we actually slept outside of a concert venue on the sidewalk. Uh, this is about 1988, 89. Uh, to get tickets to a Metallica concert. This is way before Metallica got really popular. But uh, So, now listen. I like, I'm a Metallica fan, but I ain't sleeping on concrete for them. I ain't doing it. When I was in high school, I think I was in the 10th grade, uh, I got tickets to an ACDC concert. And uh, now you're thinking, like, boy, that boy really did need Jesus. Uh, now, so, I had tickets to this ACDC concert, but I wanted to get a t-shirt when I was at the show. And so, I didn't eat lunch for like a week and a half because my mom would give me like two bucks a day. Because you could eat like a king when I was in school for like two dollars. That's what we need to get back to. We need to, somebody needs to start a business called school lunch. By the way, that would do well. Anyway, because for two bucks, you could get your lunch, throw on an extra set of tots, and what? You'd be, uh, it'd be good. So anyway, but I remember I didn't eat lunch for like a week and a half. I pocketed the money so I could go to the show and buy a t-shirt. Now listen. I like back in black as much as anybody. I ain't missing a meal for them. You know, I ain't missing a meal for most people. So, that, so that's the thing that happens, right? And so, like, you get a car. This is it. Well, we all do this. Like, you get a car. You, get, you, you got a new car. Like, I'm going to wash this car every week. You did for two weeks. And now your kids are writing, lavame, wash me in the inch of dirt that's in the back of your car. Your car's so dirty, that thing needs an exorcism. And so... You know, and, and, and that's that happens. And, you know, you, you get to the point where you're like, man, I really hope it rains. Why? The lawn? No, man, I need this car clean. I ain't going to do it. I need God to do it. And uh, now think about this. Think about how this translates into your walk with God. When I first became a Christian, right? I mean, there was nothing I wouldn't have done. No distance I wouldn't have gone to learn more about God. I would show up at church, right? I would show up at church to see what Bible study was going on. So I would get there and uh, I'd have my Bible and my notebook and my pen. And then I would have uh, like a little, you know, those little highlighter deals. And, uh, and I would, I'd walk in. I'm like, and I would just show up. You know, this was like before people had websites and telephones or, you know, like anything like that. I would just show up. Hey, what Bible study is going on tonight? Well, it's a, it's a ladies Bible study for women over 50. Okay, I'll hang out. And I sit in the back. This is menopause. I don't know what that is, but. It's got to be in the Bible somewhere. We'll find it. And uh, I just jot it down, try to look for it later. And, uh, and, and listen, I'm telling you, if, if, if churches had websites when I first became a Christian, I would have single-handedly exploded the Internet with my level of, like, sermon viewing. Uh, when I was in college, me and my friend Pedro, Pedro uh, is one of my best friends. He pastors a great church down in Kendall. Um, but Pedro and I went to school together, and we would do this thing where this is back in the days of cassettes. Now, I don't have time to tell you what cassettes are if you don't know. You've got to go look up Wikipedia or something. But, uh, so we were, this is the days of cassettes. So my friend Pedro, he would come to, to school with some stuff. And be like, man, I got these tapes. I listened to this Bible teacher. And I'm like, oh, man, that's good. I got a bunch of stuff too. And then at the school, they had this tape. There was this closet that nobody used. And so I was in there one day just kind of being nosy. And I found this tape duplicator that uh, you could put your cassette and it could make two or three copies of tapes at the same time. So anyway, so Pedro brought his stuff. I brought my stuff. 
and then him and I went halfsies on a box of 100 tapes. And we started, and then there was this other guy who was just kind of mooching off our stuff. That's another story. Uh, he'll be a sermon illustration some other day. Um, but anyway, so we had this, and we would just, we started this whole black market sermon duplication thing in the closet of our college. And, uh, and we went through, I'm telling you that we would go, th- we went through, him and I together, thousands of tapes. Like my iPod in 1996 or, nine, you know, whatever, or 1995, there was no such a thing. It was a storage bin that was this big, full of like 300 cassettes that I would just pop them in, put them in the tape deck, listen to one, toss it in the back seat, put them in the tape deck. And just then I would just keep replenishing my storage bin with all these tapes. And that, I mean, it, it, it was madness. And we just kept doing it. Why? Because we were just so passionate about learning about the Bible, studying God's word, hearing sermons and being challenged to grow and all this. And, and what happens is, here's what can happen, is that now, right, you kind of grow, you get sophisticated and you're like, oh, I got to download the podcast. Really? I mean, I got to actually click the button. What a drag. I mean, can't they just automate these things? I mean, what are we living in the dark ages? And so, and then it's like, well, you know, I only have like 40,000 songs on something that's the size of a deck of cards. And uh, so, you know, and, and what happens is, is that the things that we used to do, we might not be willing to do anymore. Listen, there was a time in the beginning when we saw God in everything. We, we, heard, we, we saw God working everywhere in every situation. And now, because we haven't been seeking that hard after him, you, you know, if we could be honest, we haven't heard God speak to us in a while. And what happened? It's not because God stopped speaking. We stopped doing the very thing that David said to do, which was to seek him. In verse 8, he said, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. David said, there's this one thing that I want to do in my life. Jeremiah says this. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. David says, God, here's the one thing that I want. Can I have one wish? Here's the one thing I want. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What does that mean? It means, God, I want to be close to you. He says, I want to be close to God. I want to behold the beauty of the Lord. What does that mean? It means I want to know God. And then he says, and I want to inquire in his temple. What is he saying? He says, God, I want to be able to hear your voice. That's what most of us desire in our lives. We want to know God. We want to be close to him. We want to hear his voice so he can lead us and direct us. And David shows us how he does this. That's why in in Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes these words. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. For yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is from faith in Christ. The righteousness, which is born, which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. David, Paul is saying the same thing that David did. I'm willing to give up anything and everything if it means knowing God. I'm willing to do anything if it means knowing God. Because as we read these verses, listen, there are some things 
That you only experience God by, that you only learn about God by experiencing the power of his resurrection. But there are other things that you only experience and learn about God by experiencing the fellowship of his suffering. There's some things that we only learn through pain and difficulty. It's not just understanding that intellectually that causes me to seek God. It's understanding that seeking God is the goal of my life. It's the goal of our lives. It's when I live a life of seeking God that my faith is built up. It's when I keep taking ventures of faith that I live the kind of, have the kind of faith that David had. Why? Because, listen, God created you. And his desire is for you to live a real and full life. Instead, listen, real life is about seeking God. It's about knowing him so that we can experience the life that we have always dreamed of living. And that's how David caps this. Look at verse 11. I'll read you the last couple of verses. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen up against me. And such, and as such, breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Here's the last thing I want to share with you. To strengthen your faith, to build your faith. Here's what it is. Listen, number three, don't lose heart in life. Listen, when a person loses heart, when a person loses hope, that's the beginning of the end. When hope is lost, despair sets in. And when despair sets in, you stop believing that any good will come. That's why the Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. I love what David says in verse 13. He says, but I would have lost heart. And here's what he says, unless I had believed. Believed what? That I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He's not saying, well, you know, I know things are tough. Heaven's going to be good when I get there. Heaven is going to be good when we get there. But he also knows this. I'm waiting patiently and courageously for God to deliver on the promises that he's made to me. That's why Paul, once again, would say this in Galatians. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we'll reap if we do not lose heart. You see, um, this week I took my kids to their aunt and uncle's house which is about 25, 30 minutes from my house. They've made this trip a million times. But what happens is, is that we get in the car, five minutes into the trip, they say, hey, Dad, yes, are we there yet? No, we're, we're, not, we're not there yet. Oh, okay. Two minutes later, the other one. Hey, Dad, uh, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Uh, are we there yet? Xander, do you see your aunt and uncle? No. Do you see me eating delicious barbecue? No. Then we're not there yet. Okay. And then you see the message. Okay, you ask him this time. No, don't ask me. And learn to whisper. You know. And uh, and what happens is is that is that now here's what it is because we give these kids when they go they, they went out. Listen, there's a bag that's this big that the kids took, and this was all just to keep them entertained in the car for 25 minutes. It is this huge bag. Like, okay, here. And I'm like, didn't I give you a bag full of stuff that you yourself personally packed with all of your special treats and toys and games and whatever else? 
Yeah. Well, then why don't you look through that? I, no, no, thanks. Well, we could watch the TV. No. Why don't you talk to your brother? Talk to your sister. Yeah, we don't want to do that. Well, and, and here's what it is. Now, listen, I know that my kids aren't saying this because they want to irritate me. They just see that as an added bonus. But listen, here's what it is. They're, they're looking on at everything. And here's what they're essentially they're saying. They want to know if we're there yet because they're like, we've done everything we know to do. We've got all this stuff. We've looked through it. We've done everything we know to do. And why is it that we're not there yet? They know they're not there yet. Right? They don't see a house. They don't see their cousins. They don't see their aunt and uncle. They see other cars. So that means unless their aunt and uncle are homeless, we haven't gotten to the house. And so, so they're saying this. They're like, well, that's their way of saying this. It's their way of saying, I've done everything I know to do. So what do I do in the meantime? And that's the question most of us struggle with. We've been waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. We've been hoping for the problem to be resolved. Because we, God made us a promise, but we still haven't seen the promise come to see the light of day. And my friends, there is a challenge to live in. And you know this if you're living in it. The place in between. The promise being given and the promise being fulfilled. And the thing that can happen in our minds is that we can begin to lose heart. And we can begin to lose faith. And we can begin to lose hope and think, I mean, God, is, 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 is this... Is the promise still for me? I mean, maybe I didn't hear you right. Maybe I, maybe I, I just, maybe this is, this, that part isn't for me. Can I read you something? This is a verse everybody should memorize. It, it's this, it's in, um, it's in 2 Corinthians 1. For all the promises of God in him are yes. And in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. That all the promises of God in him are yes and Amen. That David understood this. And he's like, you know, they, they want me to go home. They don't want me to be part of the battle anymore. But I know that that's where faith grows. But here's what I understand. David understood that as long as I'm still here, it's not over. As long as I'm still breathing, God is still working. Listen, for you and I, as long as we're still in the fight, still taking ventures of faith, God is still the God that can move mountains and raise the dead. Because there's an important truth that we need to understand. That God's delays are not God's denials. That just because you can't see the work doesn't mean that God isn't working. See, faith is about believing what we can't see, but we know to be true. Hebrews 11, it would say it this way, defining faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There's a story that's told in the Gospel of Matthew about Jesus walking up to a fig tree to get some fruit. And actually, even though that it had the leaves like it had fruit, it actually didn't have any fruit. And Jesus, um, taking opportunity to use this as an illustration, Jesus curses the fig tree. And he says, you're never going to have any fruit. And then he walks away. But you know what the amazing thing to, is to me about that story? That if you were there and you watched Jesus walk up to the fig tree, no figs, and he curses the fig tree, and then he walks away. You know what you'd see? The fig tree didn't look that much different from the time when he walked up to it to the time that he left. And sometimes he curses the tree and he says, well, maybe it didn't work. Because that tree looks exactly the same as he did when he walked up and when he walked away. So what's the deal? But see, the next day, if he would have come back, 
you would have seen that tree completely withered. And see, here's the point. Maybe there's a promise that God has given you. Maybe there's a promise that you read in the Bible and you say, God, I believe this is for me. And it hasn't come to pass yet. It doesn't mean that the promise isn't true. It simply means you may not have given it enough time because God is working in your life. God does still love you. God is a loving father and has your best at heart. And my friends, we need to start believing that, that God is for us. We got to start talking to ourselves about it and saying, you know what? God is for us. He's for us. I just encourage you, you just say, you know, you just, just say out loud, God is for me. Say it out loud. God is for me. God is for me. You got to start believing that. Because the Bible says that if God is for us, who can be against us? I want to read this passage, and then we're done. It's a beautiful verse out of the book of Hosea. Talking about the restorative work that God wants to do in our lives. Listen to what he says. He says, I will return her vineyards, her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. See what he does? He says, I will turn that, I will transform that valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for the fact that you can do the miraculous, what some would say is impossible because you said that what's impossible with man is possible with you. And so Lord, our hope, our prayer, is that in this time together, that, Lord, you would do an amazing work, that you would restore our hope, you would restore our heart, that you would build our faith, and that we would experience you in these final moments of our time together. And that, God, we would leave this place different than the way we came in. We pray it in Jesus' name.